Hey folks, it's Marvin Cash, the host of the Articulate Flower, back with another Casting Angles with Mac Brown. How you doing, Mac? I'm doing great. How you doing, Marvin? As always, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble, and uh, I know you guys got a little shot of rain, I guess, last weekend, and probably a little bit in the last couple of days. Is your water situation improving any in Bryson City? Oh yeah, the top got a little bit muddy. It's still a little bit muddy today, but Deep Creek and all the all the park streams seem to be back to normal already. I think it was about an inch and a half of rain Sunday. Sunday's what we got, so it's everything's back to normal except the the tuck. It's a little bit muddy still. Yeah, that's good because I know Saturday I was over at uh, Kevin Howell's event at Davidson River, and I mean it was pretty dry in Brevard, and I mean I think the Davidson was at fifty some CFS, and you know water temperatures were moving you know easily up into the upper sixties when it would warm up. Right. Yeah, we really needed the rain here. We've been about three weeks. I think it's close to three weeks that it was dry with no precip. So I'm really glad it finally came down and rained a little bit Sunday. And so I would imagine you're probably seeing some pretty good hatches, right? And we still got some caddis, um and a little bit of there's a little bit of blue wings still going on out on the river and down here on Deep Creek as well. And that's really the main two things. And of course we're getting into terrestrial season, so starting to throw some beetles and ants and things like that down here on the creek below below us. And uh, been really good up top. We had a lot of cloudy days, even though we didn't get the rain. The last week or so, we had probably 80% of those days overcast. You know, it tricked us a lot. We'd hear thunder and sound like it's going to rain, and then it would skip everywhere in Western Carolina. So, yeah, the, the dry fly game up top has been really good. Yeah, time to crack out that chartreuse uh, San Juan worm, right? Oh yeah, the the, the mop fly is going to be. It's already it's already good on that now. Like it's it's been. There's a lot of there's already a lot of them hanging off the trees. Yeah. So that actually is a really good choice right now. Yeah, and you know one of the things we wanted to kind of talk about, like we do, kind of away from the fishing, is talking about kind of a philosophy about simplifying your time on the water and being more effective and kind of what that looks like. Right. And, you know, kind of how to help people. Cause I think you and I talked actually earlier today about how people are kind of prone to try to memorize a bunch of stuff to do. And it doesn't make them very agile and effective because they kind of learn the, the wrong thing to do at the wrong time. Right. That's right. Yeah. Just from simple observation. And I think that's what, yeah, that's what got us on that topic a little bit this morning. It's just the people that have influenced. I know me in my lifetime are really what I would deem naturalist, even going back to my grandfather. He was very, very observant. And he's always talking about the little things of observation that are actually the big things that, that help solve the big things, you know? And I think those things are they're out every day, even before we get on the water, you know, with fronts and lunar phases, water level, just all these things, temperature, all these things. If we don't pay attention to those things, we're kind of spinning our wheels. Yeah. And they kind of pull back out of that. And I know this is something that you do when you work with the kids on the youth fly fishing team is you kind of start with kind of building a process, right? That's right. And so it's not like you don't go to the water and do the same thing every time, but you try to run a very similar process every time. That's right. Of what we change and when we change and, and I think the observation also gives us good good feedback before we ever, you know, rig up. You know, and even like the conditions going to the river, just driving 
and what you see, you know, smoke rising or falling, or cows laying down, or they stand up feeding. All those little clues are already kind of telling you what the fish are going to be probably doing before you even get to the river and rig up. Then you get to the river, rather than just rig up right away, spend a few minutes and look at the water. You know, find a deep run, look at the look at the different water types, and then kind of pay attention to that observation. If it looks like, hey, nothing's going on, well, then where are you going to start? I mean, then it comes back, is it clear, cloudy, all these other things that help make up that decision. But those are all, you know, back to the, the naturalist approach. And I think that that's what gives people a big, big advantage when they start off. And in other words, you're trying to start out with the right thing, not have to work a process of 10 things because we were clueless to the process. Does that kind of does that kind of resonate? Yeah, it does. I mean, it kind of reminds me a little bit of the talk I put together for the fly fishing shows where I was trying to kind of give kind of beginning and intermediate anglers kind of a framework to kind of start the process. And, you know, what I would say, you know, we kind of went through the seasons to talk about, you know, what what's the trout doing, right? And what's the food mm-hmm. doing? So what should you do, right? And that's just a that's really, right. that's just a simple way for people to, you know, not, you know, go do the same thing they did in February when they fished the same spot in June and wonder why it didn't work. That's right. Yeah, that's that's kind of the way I think people start to pick up on it as well, you know, by trying to do the same thing because it worked last time or last season. And then it didn't work, and then they start to think, maybe I did something wrong, and then they talk to somebody or fish with somebody that, that might have got it right, and then they start going, well, how would you know that? <laughs> I think that... I think all those trips to the river, you know, help formulate. Not, I mean, everybody has a different process for sure, but I think when you look at the really, really successful um, anglers, I think that their process is actually very similar, even though it might be in a different order, but it's a very similar mechanism they work through. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you and I have talked about this a lot on multiple occasions about trying to focus on, you know, why we're doing what we're doing. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know. We were talking about, um, I guess, earlier today, you know, like someone says, well, how do you fish a mouse pattern? And I'm like, well, what does a mouse look like when it falls in the water? Right. That's right. Or, you know, as opposed to like trying to memorize, uh, you know, leader formulas, understand that, you know, uh, extruded leaders are not bad, but you got to understand that you kind of get, get those things get pushed around because they're fatter at the top where the water's faster. Right. That's right. And trying to think about the whys, you know, keeps you from having to memorize a bunch of stuff, right? And you don't have a framework, so it's hard to remember, too. That's right. Yeah, I think leaders have been, <laughs> I know we weren't supposed to go at the rabbit hole of leaders, but that's probably the most misunderstood or intimidating thing in our sport to people. And really, the reality of, of leaders can be simplified real easy. I think a lot of pride egos came up with all these different leaders that you know their leader's the best or this leader's the best it's really really simple and that just energy either transfers or dissipates one of those two choices now which how do you design that and that's what i think people need to know is how do you make it transfer more effectively how do you dissipate that energy you know for slack and once people understand that i think that's really the i mean i think everything has a simple simple way to make it work without trying to memorize 50 formulas, you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot to be said. It's interesting because I just interviewed Kevin Howell not too long ago and we were, I think we were literally within an age of being 
a year of being the same age. And, you know, talking about the difference about like, you know, there, there was no internet, right? You learned from people and you went to the library, but the, the big way you learned is you had to experiment. That's right. You had to experiment and make a lot of things. I remember, yeah, I mean, I think people, really the people that are around our age, Marvin, grew up through that time period where when there wasn't something available and, you know, we made it and we, we still make a lot of things like that just because those things weren't available. You know, and nowadays there's, everything's available and that, does that make it simpler or does that make it more difficult to, for the choices you know yeah i think too i mean i think some of that kind of experimenting and kind of rolling up your sleeves it makes the knowledge that you gain stickier right it's uh it's kind of like the difference between reading war and peace and reading the cliff notes for war and peace yeah yeah i think so i think it, it, it's like to, to go through it doing experimentation and come up with what worked and what didn't work has to be, you know, that process of observation has to be more powerful when you've actually done the work rather than somebody just tells you, Marvin, do this. I don't think that's as powerful. Then you might get up there and you're like, what do you say? <laughs> but if you've already done the work, it's a whole lot easier because you know how it works. Yeah. And I you think, know? yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I, the one, the reason I kind of like that trout food, you framework is I tried to explain to people in the talks that, you know, it wasn't just for trout, right? You know, if you if you want to go fish for redfish, like, you know, what's their behavior right. at this particular time of year and conditions and what's the food doing? And so if you have a decent idea of what you think the fish are doing and what the food's doing, then you, you're in a lot better place to figure out how to present your flies, right? Because the whole secret is to, oh, yeah. pre to present the flies that so they look like food. Oh, yeah, that, that's for sure. And it's like all this is transferable to, I think, anything that, you know, as far as fishing and even a lot of other things in life, but one of them that comes to mind for me is uh, little John Dietz from Pennsylvania. He's on the professional Bassmasters Tour, and he's been real successful at winning a lot of these big tournaments, and he was one of the members of the youth team, you know, years ago, and he's just he majored in fisheries, and now that he's applying all the same things he learned, from trout and doing it with bass and it's, it's exactly what you're saying. There's a process, what he's doing for the bass fishing. Yeah. So if someone thinks this is kind of interesting and they want to try it kind of what would be a, a way for them to kind of work this into their current fishing system. Probably early on is to keep a notebook. I mean, that's what I did a lot. I mean, for years. And then, then after a while you don't need the notebook because you've done it enough times of records of, of water temp and all these different observations and how you start to see the big picture. And then you just kind of know it in your head. But I think when, you know, I look at my kids, like Duncan's 14 now, and he's gone out a lot, but he's not kept a journal yet. I think it'll be much more powerful once he keeps his own journal from his thought processes and looks at it and gets something out of that. I think that'll help him more so than just trying to memorize what, you know, dad told him. Yeah. And I think the other thing too is to, you know, this kind of comes back to some things we've talked about before that are like, you know, practice with deliberation. So when you fish, you know, sometimes I'll go out and I'll say, well, I want to work on this one thing. Right. Right. And then, you know, because sometimes too, right, you're collecting too much data and you can't, you can't find a pattern because you're not basically doing an experiment. Right. Right. And so sometimes I'll spend time just saying, oh, well, I, like, I don't know, like when I was, uh, wanted to be a better tight line nymph. I said, well, that's going to be probably one of the only ways I nymph this season. Right. Just, be, just right. to get better at it and like, you know, work on like, 
you know, casting the rigs, uh, tracking the rigs, all those types of things. I mean, and so those are things that people can do too to kind of get better. It's kind of like, you know, you say, well, I'm playing golf. And then I say, I'm, you're, I'm sorry, but, but there were, you're working on your short game or something like that and trying to be a little bit more, right. more consistent. Um, cause it's really, you know, there's just no substitute for getting out on the water, right? You can read a lot of books, but at some point you got to do it. Oh yeah. And I think that's a, that's a good point about having a, you know, a different goal in that process is really the key to the fundamental success that everybody's looking for is because I do believe this of, of all the years being on the water garden and when somebody does something over and over and they're not getting the desired result I think what happens is I've noticed this a lot too over the years is people that are real confident and you know good anglers they very rarely do something over and over the same way like every time they do it there's a different twist of what they're doing and that's how they're finding that success and so I think that that's probably the biggest you know, things since we're talking about observation and being a naturalist is not to sit there and do the same thing over and over expecting a different result. And I think that's what a lot of people do that hadn't figured it out yet. <laughs> I mean, just think. I mean, I don't mean to sound negative, but look at the amount of bobber fishing going on in America. If we're just going to throw a bobber and hope for the best, how could we ever get to that point? Yeah, I get it. Yeah, so I think that, that resonates kind of with me. It's like that's what we're seeing now more days. And of course, we never saw that. I never saw that as a kid. But now that's kind of what the, you know, the industry as a whole, I think, has really grasped grasp that, you know. And that's what you see. It's not just North Carolina. I mean, it's in Montana. It's everywhere. It's Colorado. You see it all over. So what's that say about... I guess I guess what I'm saying, Marvin, is that a progression helping the sport or is that a regression? I mean, I'll leave that up to the listeners. I won't, I won't say what I think, but uh, <laughs> I, I think that's a, a good question to ask. Yeah. And, and, you know, folks, we love questions on the Articulate Fly. So if there's something you want, uh, you know, me to talk about with Mac, you know, just shoot me an email, DM me on social media, happy to cover it. And you know, Mac, I know you won't be doing any week-long guide schools until the fall, but I know you've got kind of skill schools going on throughout the summer. Is there any of that kind of good stuff you want to share with folks? You want to tell folks how to find you so they can book you and fish with you? Well, there's a bunch of uh, different weekend dates designed through the summer for, for different topics from wet fly to dry fly clinics to nymphing clinics. And that, they can find that info on the uh, website, MacBrownFlyFish.com. That's probably the easiest place to go. That's where I usually put the dates. I don't really post that much about social media with it. Uh, got it. And what if they want to book you, uh, book you for a day on the water? Same thing or a casting lesson? Yeah, yeah. I'm doing a lot of casting lessons this time of year, and I like doing those quite a bit through the summer months as well. Because when it gets warmer, and I think a lot of them are wanting to go do a saltwater trip and things like casting into the wind and trying to get better distance. That, that tends to be one of the more popular things in the summer. Yeah. That, that we do. So, yeah, the same website. That, that's how they can get a hold of me. Yeah. And it gets hot. So, you'll either be doing those early in the morning or late in the evening, right? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> we're about to go on the early, early morning schedule. I yeah. mean, we've already been going up, you know, pretty early. We're going out the door around daylight, which I love going out early at daylight because you pretty much have the whole water to yourself. And um, even with trips, I mean, I'm done by, I guess I'm doing the hoot owl thing already. I just like being out early and being done early. 
Because once it gets hot, that, that's not my cup of tea once it gets hot. <laughs> not your jam. Well, you know, listen, folks, yeah. if you want to take a class or get a casting lesson or get out on the water with Mac, check out MacBrownFlyFish.com. And uh, before it gets crazy hot and we have to leave the trout alone, you know it to yourself to get out there and catch a few. Tight lines, everybody. Tight lines, Mac. Tight lines, Marvin.